everyone welcome back to another episode of don't be so dramatic my name is rachel and this is the podcast where i talk to different people in the entertainment industry to discover what their job involves and how they got there for this week's episode i have with me miranda harcourt now miranda has such an amazing body of work to show she is an acting coach she is an actress she's a director she has a production company with her husband so one thing that we obviously delved into is the um, idea of being a slashy person in the industry and how that benefits Miranda's work as a whole. So that was really interesting to me. As an acting coach, oh my goodness, she has had such a vibrant and amazing career. So you might know Miranda's work from Bridge to Terabithia, The Lovely Bones, Soul Surfer, Lion, Aquaman, Judy and Punch. I'm literally only just naming a few because if I were to go through all of them, we will be here all day and we just don't have time for that. So it's just, yeah, it's um, very evident that obviously Miranda knows what she's talking about. And I had such an amazing time just, you know, gathering um, the tips and tricks that she has from being able to work with some amazing and some of the, the top industry actors. Early on in Miranda's career, she studied drama therapy. And so we talk about this idea of a a higher reason or a bigger picture for your work. Why are you doing this work? Why are you in this industry? What is the purpose of the project or the work that you are doing? Which I think is a really important thing to think about as a performer or as a creator um, of work. Whatever role it is you do, I think that you need to be asking that question of yourself constantly and so that kind of delves into this idea of truth within your work which is also evident in Miranda's verbatim theatre career she was at the forefront when verbatim theatre was coming into the industry and so obviously because verbatim theatre is based on performing an interview word for word beat for beat of um, something in order to present the truth to the audience audience so yeah all very interesting topics I won't talk too much more I want to jump into the episode so thank you for listening thank you for all your support I very much enjoyed this episode I hope you do too so without further ado let's jump in Miranda thank you so much for joining me today I so appreciate having your time on the podcast cool I'm delighted to be here so you are Um, Let me get this right because there's a few things. (laughs) So you are an actress, um, an acting coach, a director, and would you say producer as well? Uh, I have. Yes, I have produced, but I would, I'd stick to those three kind of um, uh, slashy. I think that's what I've heard um, Mm. in Australia Mm. guys call them slashies. So I would call myself a slasher. Yes, I'm an uh, actress. I'd say that predominantly at the moment I'm an acting coach. I really I, I act, but I really only act um, to put some of my acting coaching precepts to the test. It's not where I get my joy so much anymore. It used to be, but now I get my joy from uh, from coaching uh, other performances. And yes, I'm also uh, I'm also a director. Amazing. I when I was looking at your body of work, it. Um the thing that kind of came to mind for me was that you do just effortless, effortlessly kind of glide between all of these um, jobs that you kind of have in all of these different departments. And it's kind of, it's such a testament to the fact that, you know, I think we always say in the industry, you do kind of have to take on multiple roles in order to, I guess, be learning a lot more and to also um, be able to consistently work as well. So, Absolutely. Um, I really agree. And I think that I'm not, it's not only me, but everyone in my family from my mother who lives downstairs, who's 93, um, through to our youngest daughter, who's 13. And um, my husband and I, and all of the, the whole family, we've got um, four children, three of whom um, are here in Wellington with us. And we all work in some degree in journalism or um, uh, all the performing arts in some way. And um, our whole family context has been about shift and change. And being able to, as you say, glide from skill to skill 
um, a little bit like surfing a wave. And that, bizarrely, that has been a kind of perfect preparation for the pandemic because mm. um, it, it, our lives have really just kept on being the same as they always have, where you just kind of have to turn a corner and, um, and work in a different way to, um, to accommodate the vicissitudes of the craziness of life at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And you like you really do have this legacy going through your family because, you know, your mother um, started out the, in the industry and then um, yourself, you're in the industry, your husband is in the industry. And then, as you say, your children are somehow in the industry. Um, so, yeah, I mean, um, you must not get sick of talking about it. That's for sure. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah. Although um, our youngest daughter, who's thirteen, sometimes does go, you know, enough with uh, talking about um, movies and acting. You know, can we talk about something else. And my and my son, my son's a really good actor, but he had an abrupt schism in his teenage years and went, "I am like, no enough. I don't want to um, pursue this anymore." He had a, an American agent and everything, but he's like, "No, I'm mu much more passionate about politics and journalism." So he's gone in that direction, and he's wow. very good at what he does. But um, and and um, his engagement in the performing arts has really helped him to be um, a better version of what he does now, which is, um, as I say, politics and journalism. And um, and who knows what's going to happen to our thirteen-year-old? She's um, been in a movie earlier this year with Kieran Knightley. You know, she's um, uh, she's got some great opportunities uh, as a young actress. But I don't know whether she wants to do it. Um, so mm. so whatever she does, you know, graphic design, whatever she does to choose to do her. Um, involvement in the performing arts and involvement through our family will lift her in, in her communication skills to be able to be um, a, to be able to be better at whatever it is that she chooses to do. And and I think that's really important and salient. Actually, uh, when I look at my own life, my uh, involvement as a uh, as an actor has always been in service of something else. Mm. It's always been driving towards something. Like my um. Uh, my training is as a drama therapist. So um, it was a matter of using my skills uh, as an actress and a writer and um, in, in service of uh, communicating something greater than just acting. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. And I think you, that has, I, I personally think that you have to have something like that in mind when you are pursuing a creative career. I don't think you can just do it because you like being on stage. Sure. You have to have that love, but I think there has to be some greater uh, reason in order for you to have a long career because if you want to do this for your whole life like what is it for you know yeah. Couldn't agree more. yeah you've got it there's there's got to be a intellectual hunger um, and an emotional hunger to serve some greater purpose and to tell some um, some greater story yeah well I'm very interested in the um, in the drama therapy that you studied um, initially, which turned into the verbatim play that you did um, about the inmates. So, um, did you did you always kind of have that, um, I guess, interest in looking at how drama can help, um, I guess, people mentally and that sort of thing, or was that something that you discovered once you'd um, gone to study and kind of when actually there is something here? No. Um uh, it was a, a, a bit of a complicated process. Um, I was always interested in kind of a, a social work aspect or a teaching aspect when I was at school. And then um, then I, uh, I went to drama school and learned to be an actor, blah, blah, blah. And then, um, um, and then luckily for me, I got a great job in a soap opera. It was a, a glamorous kind yes. of a, a soap opera where you wore your, you know, your earrings and it was hours in hair and makeup, that kind of thing. And, and more and more through the four years that I was in that soap opera, which was called Gloss, mm -hmm. the more... I did it, the more I became interested in acting for a purpose as opposed to acting in order to wear um, earrings and uh, flash hair and makeup. Um, <laughs> so I, I guess the experience of being in that soap opera pushed me further along that track. Um, and then I, um, I won a, something called a Whitson Churchill Fellowship to go and um, study uh, working with deafness because uh, I'd done a play, Children of a Lesser God, about deafness in New Zealand. And I became very interested, and I still am, in the way in which gestural sign language um, is so much a, uh, an important part of uh, deaf communication, but also hearing communication for, um, for hearing actors. So that still continues to inform my, my work as a, as a coach. But I went to England and, um, uh, and did this kind of three month uh, research trip in um, the intersection between 
uh, deafness and um, uh, acting and performing. And, um, and having done that, I, I happened to go and visit this drama school, which happened to have a, um, a diploma one year program in drama therapy. And I was like, wow, that is for me. And so I went there. I, um, I uh, worked in prisons for the first time. I worked mm. with um, deaf kids in a, uh, a school for, for deaf children. I worked in a center for profoundly disabled adults. And I worked um, in the pre-release unit of a psychiatric hospital. And so those four placements, um, even now, that was a long time ago, but even now those four placements continue to drive my interest in psychology, my interest in um, disability, um, and the way it's uh, performed authentically on stage. Um, and my interest in gestural sign language and, um, and my interest in the psychology of incarceration. So yeah, that's, um, you know, I, I'm a great collector of all of your life experiences and finding a way to draw the diversity of weird stuff that goes on in your life to draw it together and make one um, kind of rope or lifeline to draw you through. Yeah, it's just, it's a lot to deal with as well, just like for you to kind of put yourself in those situations, obviously it's going to affect you in some mental way or another. And so did, did you kind of find as you were starting off with the work that it was having an effect on you and did you have anything in place in order to kind of, I guess, make sure you were mentally healthy enough in those situations? Because it does weigh on you dealing with, you know, people who have had unfortunate circumstances in their lives and they've kind of ended up in these situations and you just go, I just like, I just feel so like as a person who has been, you know, very blessed um, in their life, working with people who have had these circumstances, it must weigh on you, I guess. Yes, well, that's a, that is a very interesting question. And I think now, um, it's more now than ever before that actors are being taught to protect themselves or mm. uh, make psychological and physical investments into a healthy future. Um, whereas I never did that. I thought that I was bulletproof. And, um, and back in the day when I, I spent basically 10 years, I, I think, working in the prison system. Um, and um, I never really implemented any strategies to protect myself. Um, and now looking back, I, I realize that I should have, because it takes a while for the weight of those experiences to, um, to roll up behind you mm. and sometimes to steamroll you a little bit. And um, I mean, from, the, from a physical perspective, um, now is the time, and you'll know in Australia as well as we do here, that Ito O'Brien has devised intimacy coordination, mm. which is kind of a, a physical sexual aspect of the same um, psychological effect uh, that, that you feel when you spend a lot of time um, hearing people's stories about violent crime, for example, which is what I did with um, Stuart McKenzie and, um, and William Brandt, who are my compatriots through that journey. So looking back, if I was to advise somebody who was embarking on the same pathway, I would say, yes, you should certainly set up a relationship with a counsellor so that you've got um, a valve to let off steam and discuss your experiences. Journaling is a, um, a great thing to do for posterity, apart from, apart from anything else. And, um, and in order to just be able to vent um, some of the unconscious experiences that you need to let go of and you need to allow those to flow through you. Um, it's funny because sometimes when you talk to people who've done interesting things back in the day, um, they, they go, yes, well, looking back now, I wouldn't have done it. It's <laughs> <laughs> not very useful advice. Don't because, tell me that. <laughs> because, you know, you want, to do, you want to do cool things in your life. You want to be adventurous. You want to mm. push the boundaries. You want to um, push the boundaries of yourself. So I would never look back and say, um, I would have been more careful. I wouldn't have made this choice. Um, I'd say go for it. But just be aware that you need to invest in... Um, a process of physical care as well as psychological care um, as an investment into your future. Mm. Well, and I think the fact that, you know, you you went through that and, as you say, didn't put, you know, certain things in place in order to make sure that you were looking after yourself, the fact that you can now look back and then say to young actors now, hey, this is what happened to me and I didn't do that, so I recommend that you do do that. Like that, that we can kind of look at that as like the reason for, you know, why possibly why you went through that or something like that. You know, you're always looking for the silver lining, I guess. So, yeah. Um, now with your verbatim theatre. So in terms of when you started um, 
the show verbatim about um, the prisms, the prison. Oh my goodness. What is wrong with my um, articulation today? <laughs> it's the light. It's because the light. It's the, li- it's the lights out. It's thrown me. It's not me at all. <laughs> um, we, uh, so the um, show verbatim about the prison system and um, I guess the people's relatives um, who had um, people in the prison system at the time um, was uh, verbatim, I'm assuming, was very new at that time, um, the concept of a verbatim theatre piece. Yes, it was. Um, we did, we wrote and devised uh, verbatim and performed it in the prison system and also in schools and also um, in, in theatres and in festivals all over the world at the same time that Anna Devere Smith, who's a, um, a, a very um, famous and revered verbatim practitioner, at the same time that she was putting together her first verbatim piece um, uh, in America, which is called Fires in the Mirror. And, um, and so I'm very proud of that because looking back, I, I feel like we were at the forefront of verbatim practice around the world. And, um, um, and that's something to, that I really hold uh, close. You know, if I look back on my life, I go, that's something I'm really proud of. But it's so interesting to me that even now, last night I ran a, um, a, a, um, a class for the hub in Sydney. There were people from Sydney and people from Melbourne um, there in the class. And even now, last night, the, um, the primary texts that I am using in my work are um, verbatim texts. On this occasion, they're verbatim texts that I ask people to go to the fantastic Instagram site, Humans of New York, and just select <laughs> the, um, a, a bit of text from those. They're kind of curated and, um, and cleaned up verbatim, yeah. um, much more than in the Laramie Project. Mm example all verbatim the show that um that we put together but um but they have got the the vivid poetry of the way real people talk about their real life and that's what i love about verbatim text so it's for me i'm like yeah every every means possible to introduce more people to the idea of the freshness and the psychological uh, veracity of verbatim text either we work on verbatim text or we use verbatim text to cast uh the light of true naturalism upon text that is written on the page that might be mm. by Ibsen, it might be by Chekhov, it might be by Shakespeare, it might be by a contemporary writer. But um, but I use verbatim text as a lens through which to see, um, uh, to, to reflect the light of naturalism on any text. Was that kind of, um, I guess, one of the reasons why you initially wanted to do a verbatim theatre piece? Because I mean, I, I guess you could have so easily just taken the stories of the inmates and of their relatives and written it into a play. But um, what was, I guess, was it the idea of truth and really truly telling these people's stories that pushed you to do a verbatim theatre piece about them? I think it was a nexus of a number of things. Number one, it was to work inside the prison system using theatre as a psychotherapeutic force to um, encourage change mm-hmm. um, so people reflect on choice and that's why of course uh, we chose to present the, those voices from the perspective of the family of the offender whereas at the time most stories about violent crime were being told from the perspective of the family of the victim and if mm. you if you take a whole bunch of victim stories into a prison no one is going to want to listen it's too hard it's really challenging but, but um, we got together, William and I got together and we were like, hmm, if we present the voices of um, this guy who's, who's committed a violent crime, if we present the voices of his mum, his sister, his girlfriend, and how his actions have impacted upon those people who he knows and, and loves or not, um, then that, that may form a piece where people are more likely to listen to it, which it did. And even now, you know, this is, it's a long time ago now, but, um, but sometimes I will still encounter people who were in prison um, when I performed verbatim and who saw it and who um, are now out of jail. And, um, and doing a variety of things. In fact, one of them um, was a student of mine at Tuathakata New Zealand Drama School. Wow. He said, I changed drama school because, um, because I, saw, I saw your piece and it had a big impact on me and I thought that's what I want to do. So I'm really, I'm really proud of that. And another person I was just talking to recently is Taika Waititi, who directed Jojo Rabbit, of course, which has got our daughter Thomason in it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Taika said to me in Prague when we were shooting, um, we were there with Thomason while they were shooting Jojo Rabbit, and Taika said, I saw verbatim at Wellington High School and um, it had a big impact on me. So, so it did, it had a big impact because it was a, a set of unusual voices 
mm. casting an unusual light, uh, an unaccustomed light on, um, on, on crime at that time. But, but part of that nexus too, is that I was really interested in um, solo performance. I'd already done one sort of semi um, verbatim solo performance called Kaz, a working girl, which is about a, um, New Zealand girl who goes to, to King's Cross in Sydney and becomes a prostitute um, and a drug addict. So that was a cheery piece. But there was, there was very rewarding to, um, to perform. And I really fell in love with that feeling of um, using text and speaking directly to the audience as opposed to speaking to somebody else on stage who's also um, in character and asking the audience to bring the quality of the willing suspension of disbelief to believing that there is a fourth wall and um, and that you're eavesdropping on a conversation. It's a very different feeling when you take um, a, a piece of work into a prison or a psychiatric hospital or into a classroom and you're, you have direct address. You're addressing the people that you're actually talking to. It, it's very compelling and, um, and I was really inter interested in pushing that form. Yeah, it's I yeah, you're right in saying it's a completely different concept and potentially maybe working on the soap opera as well um pushed you into wanting to explore the solo the idea of solo performance and speaking to the audience because that's almost completely opposite to a soap opera because soap opera is really saying to the audience please believe in these outrageous ideas that were going to be playing out <laughs> in front of you. Just believe that multiple people in the same family could die in extravagant circumstances. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I completely understand that. Now, um, at what point did you kind of um, find an interest in acting coaching and wanting to coach other actors and also working on set as um, a, a coach um, in film? Uh, yeah, do you, do you remember the kind of point that you started doing that or started kind of thinking that that might have been something that you wanted to do? Yeah, for sure. And um, that was, I, I have um, worked on a lot of Peter Jackson's films over the years and um, and back in the day when I was um, my most of my time was was um, directed towards thinking about uh, my own performance. I was in a play. I was in a Doll's House by Ibsen actually, which was a great production. And um, and Peter Jackson called up and said, "Do you could you help us out by coaching Melanie Linsky for her audition for Heavenly Creatures?" Mm. And um, I was like, "Yeah, that sounds fun." So I I went to Christchurch, which is where they were um, running the auditions, and I coached Melanie. And you know, yay, she got the job. So that was fantastic. And um and she kicked off an amazing career. I still really admire Melanie as an actress. She's got a, a strong uh, career in Hollywood. Um, she's found a lot of success through. Um, identifying her own voice and her own identity as a performer. And that's, um, you know, I, I love watching her work. She's fantastic. In fact, she came to be in The Changeover. She played um, Edna James's mother um, in our movie and she gave such a beautiful performance. So deeply felt and so authentic. So that was, I guess that was the first time that I coached another actor. Mm. And then I was like, oh, well, you know, goodbye coaching. That was fun. But I'm going to go back into my actual job, which is acting. And I kept doing that for quite a while. But then, of course, uh, I got pregnant. <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, you know, I've, I've had three children and, um, and they're only just, you know, one of them still 13 and the other two have just left home. They've only just left home. But I could see that the kind of actor that I was, which was a deeply immersive, experiential, method-oriented actor, being that kind of actor and being a mother of some children, they were two energies that were not going to work together. Mm. Uh, and I didn't, I was like, well, do I want to change the kind of actor that I am? Do I, um, do I want to um, back away from the, the depth of emotional experience and commitment that I like to bring to my work in order to make my acting work easier so that I can multitask and both be an actor and a parent. I was like, no, you know what? I don't actually. I'm, I, if I'm going to be an actor, I want to be the kind of actor that, um, that is deeply immersed in the emotional and physical experience of the role. So maybe I'll just back away from that and find another way to, um, uh, to explore the, the creative elements of performance. And so I, I became a, a, the head of the acting department at Toy New Zealand Drama School. And, um, and, and while I was there, 
um, my old friend Liz Mullane, um, with whom I was at drama school, is now a very good casting director and the casting director of all of Peter Jackson's films. Um, she called up and said, hey, they need an acting coach on set for uh, Bridge to Terabithia, which is a film that many, many people have seen. It, was, mm -hmm. it became a very, very successful film. And she said, do you want to come and be the on-set coach for Josh Hutchison and Anna Sophia Robb? I was like, yeah, cool. That sounds awesome. And so that was the first film that I went and um, was on set um, all the way through the shoot. And, um, and that was the beginning of kind of the, you know, the, the second half of my, of my life and the second half of the, um, a different flavor of creativity. And one, to be honest, that I find more rewarding than I did when I was an actor. That's so interesting. I wonder if that's to do with, um, I guess, the greater purpose that we were talking about, feeling that coaching others kind of adds to the greater purpose of your career rather than, because you've done the exploration of what you are as an actor and now you're kind of like, okay, that's done. We've done that exploration. So maybe, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I, I feel like, you know, being an actor myself was field work. And now, um, and now I'm kind of writing up my thesis, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and, um, yeah. And it doesn't mean that I can mix the the emotional commitment um, of uh, that that creative work plus the richness of the intellectual work. They can chime together. Whereas I think the intellectual aspect of um, dramaturgy, uh, text analysis, um, and the invention of a new set of acting tools, I couldn't be doing that if I was acting um I, I i wouldn't have the emotional and the intellectual chiming simultaneously but i'm finding the intellectual pursuit of um of like i say this and the evolution of a new set of acting tools has been incredibly uh, rewarding for me and it, and it means that um that i can do way more if you're when i was acting i could only act in one thing at one time and that mm. would take a long time and then you get to the end of a, um, a six month period a year long period a five year long period you go right okay <laughs> on to the next thing but um but i'm a i like to be a very busy person i'm a very fast-paced person and so now i feel like i've got multiple very interesting projects all running simultaneously and um and i i love that yeah. Can, can I just mention the how casually you mentioned, I just became the head of acting and, you know, and that, that, <laughs> that was that. It was so casual. It's like, oh, yeah, head of, becoming head of acting is simple and easy. Yeah. <laughs> for, for you, I guess. <laughs> but that's fine. Um, so in terms of, because you've, uh, oh, my goodness, I'm not even going to, you're, extensive list of um, projects and productions that you have coached on is amazing and very encouraging and I love looking at it um, however my brain you know just didn't have time to learn all of them but that's fine um, so in terms of all of the bigger I guess productions because you know you've worked on blockbusters like Aquaman and as you say you know Bridge to Terabithia was an amazing hit and I guess Lion I, I wouldn't consider Lion a blockbuster but you know it, it was such a big film in terms of working on those what I guess working with more experienced actors and then um, going to drama schools and coaching the actors that I are just starting out in the industry. What is the difference in what you are teaching and coaching them? Are you kind of, when you're going onto set and coaching the more experienced actors, do you find that you're tailoring specifically to that person or is there a certain through line throughout what you teach that is consistent in both those scenarios? Yes, I'd say there are kind of three scenarios, really, because um, there's working with people who are studying, um, as you say, who are just about to start their careers. <clears throat> there's also working with um, kids and teenagers, and then there's working with adults. And I kind of separate my time um, equally between those three strands. And now also, I work with other coaches. I work with directors oh, and okay. other to, um to enhance directorial tools so that directors can do this work by themselves. They don't need to bring a coach on set or I work with other coaches to teach them these tools. But um, I mean, at its base, 
if you're in the classroom, I'm going back to Tuifikati actually to, um, to teach some students there and I'll do a four day intensive on screen skills. That's very different from going on set and having literally less than two minutes to um, diagnose, identify and provide a solution to a performance problem that is um, presenting itself on set. They're very, very different challenges. Nevertheless, there are, there are certain tools that I've evolved um, over my, my life as a coach, uh, which underpin everything that I do. And they are the tools of particularly of connection, of white space, of vista, of internal landscape, and of journey. They're my five tools. Um, and, uh, and I just love going more deeply and exploring each of those five tools more deeply using the world of the visual arts, the world of photography, of course, the world of filmmaking, the world of quantum physics, which um, is so inspirational to me, um, the world of, of history, like whatever I'm doing, whatever I'm reading, wherever I go, whatever art gallery I'm in, I'm always looking for ways to enrich these five tools so that I can um, take that, that work um, straight back to actors. So yeah, um, the, the different scenarios that you find yourself in present you with very different challenges, mainly in terms of time. Mm. And, um, and so I've had to, to uh, it's partly why I left the, the, um, my job in the drama school, because that was like a three-year training period. I'm like, you know, you, you, we need to be able to learn how to do these things in five minutes mm. rather than in three years. Because you might, um, as often happens now, you might street cast a couple of people who've never acted before. They certainly haven't been to drama school, and, um, and but they but they still need to be able to bring it on set. They need to be able to um, to do to cover the whole gamut of skills from, as we were discussing before, protecting themselves, all the way through to being able to um, to uh, deeply plumb emotion and um, and have the courage to reveal themselves. Uh, in front of the camera and the crew and with their um, their fellow actors. And they may not necessarily have any training. So I've got to have tools that um, that can help that actor or that seven-year-old kid or that, um, you know, new newbie teenager who's riven with fear. You've got to be able to bring some tools that can help that person to achieve their best in the moment. Yeah, and I guess that's where the idea of provocations comes in that is kind of almost a universal language rather than an actor's language, um, which I know Donald Woodburn, who's a voice voice coach, works with provocations as well. And I um, this year did his class and I found that his provocations I could hand to someone who's never worked in the industry and they would understand what it means in terms of their voice. So I guess that is, you know, and I know that you, because I've stalked you online, have also... <laughs> worked with provocations um, with the videos that you've put online um, and they're very simple ideas and it kind of got me thinking about this concept that I feel like the more you delve into the industry and the more experience you kind of gather the more simple acting becomes for me at least that's what I found I would really, I would really agree because I'm t I like tomorrow morning. I'll be teaching forty people aged thirteen to um, to thirty five um, in the regular class that I teach at Rider Studios um, here in Wellington, and um, and in conversation with those young actors, they'll be going. I'm reading this book about the Meissner technique. I'm reading this book about the method. I'm reading this book about Stella Adler. I'm reading this book from. Um, um, you know, different every night by Mike Alfreds. I'm reading all of these books, and they all seem to conflict how do i find a nexus of all of these different um techniques and, and methods in myself and um and i feel like yeah it's like grow yourself grow your self-confidence enable yourself so that you can read anything take the parts that really chime with you mm. and create your own smorgasbord of your own particular approach as an actor as long as it um includes some degree of professionalism and responsibility and um and as, and as long as it works for you and as long as you remain open and always a beginner with a um, with a beginner's instinct in mind then you will be um open to learning and advancing your craft but but there is no such thing as a um a single bible no um very much so. And I do agree, you know, when you are starting out, you're kind of trying to 
really learn every um, practitioner that's written a book on acting and, you know, being like, oh, I, I know Stanislavski, I know Brecht, I know Meisner, I'm all across those. So as an actor, I am wholly able to adapt. And that's all well and good to know what those practitioners have taught in the past. But I say this on the podcast so often. And um, my acting coach, Ben, knows this. I just cannot get into Meisner. I can't do it. Don't make me. I do not connect with it (laughs) at all. And that is so fine. I think sometimes as actors, we're a little bit scared to say that something doesn't work for us because we don't want someone to turn around and be like, oh, you can't do Meisner? Oh, you must not be a very good actor then. And then you kind of learn that, no, 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 you do... You have so much power in in your career in the industry and I think we spend too much time giving that away to others, whether it be a casting director or a director or a producer because we're just wanting to book work. But I really think it's about finding, and you know, um, as you have done as an actor, finding what your flavour is that you bring as a performer and trying to delve into that rather than being kind of an across the board actor because I I think very rarely that works for someone you know well it used to back in the day that's um that the the approach to training was to allow everyone to be a neutral mask so that from that position of neutral mask you could use Laban methodology to um change your own energy to suit the role we're not in those days anymore Mm-mm. we're uh, Filmmaking is different. Theatre is different. Uh, performance is different. Text is different. All of the different elements, what the audience is hungry for is different. So um, I, I completely agree with you. It's like the individuality and the flavour of each individual person is much more important than achieving this kind of weird neutral state where essentially you're getting an eraser and you're rubbing yourself out. It's the process. It's called the process of self-abdignation mm. in order to, um, to be, be a... And then the director, or the you know the um, the the um, much vaunted <clears throat> director, or, you know boss of you, can project onto you a reflection of what they want you to be. No, we we're not in that world anymore. So we've got to fight our way out and um, and develop and create a new level of um, uh, of self expression. Mm. I guess maybe um, a fear that people kind of have is this: you know, they they think that it's egotistical to question. Um, a director's intentions or to question an idea and say no for me and mind you it can lead into an egotistical um thing but I think the fact that you are aware that ego can creep in and being able to kind of check yourself in those situations probably means that that's not going to be an issue for you but I think that you know in an industry where um, I guess we're expressing ourselves. We do have some ego-driven individuals and that's okay, you know. Um, but I think the fear of becoming egotistical shouldn't stop you from doing what it is that you're meant to do and doing what it is that you are, I guess. Well, it's a, I mean, it's a fine balance and, um, you know, it is self-expression, but but it's the the time for an intense conversation with the director about whether or not your intention is this or that is not when you're poised on the the point of doing a, a massive stunt and you've got a crew of 40 or 50 people waiting around to swing the rope and um and um catch the weight and you know measure the wind to find out whether somebody's going to die that's not the moment to be having an argument about intentions that mm. um that has to happen at a different time. So, you know, you have to bring some smarts uh, to your practice and you also, you have to bring respect Mm -hmm. because um, often, you know, you or I might be cast in a conventional film, in a conventional hierarchy, a conventional hierarchical structure where there is a a director and a writer and a producer who have been working on this for 10 years time, you know, that it's, it's, and it's their intellectual property and they're reaching out a hand and they're saying to you, do you want to join us on this journey? And if you genuinely think that they're on the wrong creative path with their ideas, it's then, then you should say no. Mm. I know it's not, um, I'm not the right person for you because I've got some, some challenges for the direction in which you're taking the character. Then are you the right person for the job if, to, to join that journey? Because it is their, as I said, it's their intellectual property and their emotional property that, that you're dealing with. So it's, you know, it, it's a, it's a complex issue because the, 
um, the film and television industry is still very old school in its hierarchy. And partly that is to do with the huge amounts of money that are involved. Partly it's to do with safety. Um, part, partly it's to do with time management. There's a whole bunch of different, very complex issues, which mean that, um, that I think it is incumbent on us as actors to understand the structure before we enter into the structure. Now, if I'm working with a um, seven-year-old or a 12-year-old, I can't expect that kid to understand that structure. So my job in that situation, as well as um, guiding them through the, the creative process um, and connecting up with the other actors, is to enable that child to, um, to meet the structure in a user-friendly way. So I'll often, the first thing I do when I'm, I'm working on a set with kids is I'll take the child around, I give them a camera or a phone and, um, and we'll go around the production office, for example, and I'll ask the child to take a photograph of every single, every single person in the production office and we'll write down the name of the person and the job that they do. And then we'll go and play like a jigsaw game, matching up the photographs of the people with their name and with their job. And we'll do the same thing on set with the cinematographer, the, um, the, the guy who swings the boom or the girl who swings the boom, the, um, uh, the focus puller with the, um, the hair and makeup. So that that seven or 12 year old or whoever the, the kid is like, wow, there's a lot more people on this set than just me. And, um, and everyone is concentrating on doing their job to the best of their ability. Number one, that's valuable because the child goes, right, actually, no one is really thinking about me because the, um, the, the, um, the sound recordist is thinking about sound and the cinematographer is thinking about pictures and the lighting person is thinking about light. Um, but also that that child goes, there's a, this is a, it's like a little country of mm. um, everyone working together to make a piece of art. And, um, and there's a way for me to, um, to measure my own power and measure my own sense of responsibility. And, and I think that whether it's kids or whether it's teenagers or drama school graduates or grown up actors, we can all, um, we can all think about that. Yeah, I was about to say, I reckon all actors should do that exercise. <laughs> yeah. At the start of a production, go around, take pictures of people. It might be super weird, but <laughs> just to remind yourself, you know. Yeah, well, you can, you know, you can look on the cruise sheet and you can mm. make it your responsibility and your um, your kind of emotional gift to the to the thing that you're working on, that you get hold of the cruise sheet and you go, right, well, I'm just going to learn all these names. And, um, and make sure that, because they all know your name mm. and um, they know your name because you're the person that generally the, the microphone or the camera or the makeup brush is pointing at. But, um, but you know, reverse the flow and, um, and pay it back the other way. And I think that it means that we make better work because we're aware that we're working as a group. Yeah, it's more of a collaborative experience rather than the camera is now pointed at the actor and when we call action, it's all about the actor and, you know, uh, what you're doing as a person. I guess that does kind of go into the realm of the ego then. Um, but yeah, I do. I, I love that. I'm definitely I'm definitely going to do that on the next project. I'm going to be like, Miranda told me to do this. So, <laughs> so I need to do it. Um, <laughs> so um, you have your own production company as well with your husband. Um, now, where, what um, was the conversation that you had in order to want to start that and start creating your own work? Because, you know, in this day and age of the industry, creating your own work, I think is super important um, to at least think about whether you um, actually do it or not is up to you and your career. But I think it's, yeah, it's it's one of those things. It, it's kind of similar to the slashy idea where you have to be looking at how you can glide between different roles in order that your career is kind of um, still on its trajectory rather than being stagnant, waiting for someone to give you the call to say, oh, you've got more work and you go, oh, thank God. So, um, yeah, what, um, what kind of was the impulse for you to start your own production company? Uh, well, you know, ownership of your ideas um, would be one um, place to start we, where um, you're not just giving your, your, the, the flow of your creativity to um, other instigators and other creators, but that you're maintaining the, the right and responsibility to, um, to maintain ownership of your own work. Also, my husband is a writer and a filmmaker, and, um, um, and a lot of the work that I've done has been me going, hmm, I'm going to buy the rights to that book 
and um, and adapt it into a play and I'm going to tour it. And that's how I'm going to um, make my money. And that's also how I'm going to make my mark on the space. And, um, and, and this is a story that I want to tell. But, um, but you've got to be, able, to be able to do that. You have to have a structure. So, um, so setting up our own production company enabled us to, uh, to tell our own stories and to make a mark on the culture by, um, by not just joining other people's projects, but by driving our own. So um, we've done a lot of verbatim work that way. We've done a lot of, um, uh, we were very interested for a while and still are in biographical work um, and kind of a biographical um, um, filmic stage fusion of, um, of touring, um, doing theatre tours of, um, of kind of biographical comedy. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we did a show called Flowers from My Mother's Garden, which was a daughter tells her mother's story. We did a show about our marriage. Um, called the biography of my skin, um, and both of those were very successful for us. They were both um, um, published um, in book form after they were uh, initially um, plays. So, um, having our own production company means that we can really f follow our own intellectual curiosity and um, um, and um, sort of form a collection of like-minded works that are cousins of each other. Um, that are all expressions of our particular um, taste and our uh, particular interests and desires. So yeah, uh, that, and also, you know, depending on time, um, we've published other things through that um, production company. Sometimes that's plays, sometimes it's a film. We've made, we've made two feature films for Good and, um, and The Changeover. We made a huge number of, um, of short films. And, um, and when our kids were little, we published um, a an alphabet book and a numbers oh. book because you know that the, your life is affected your creativity is affected by your life mm. and at that time we're like hmm we must teach our children how to read and um and do numbers and so we came up with a, a really cool alphabet system which is how we taught our son to read and how we taught him to count count and now he's incredibly smart so of course that's because of our alphabet system. <laughs> of course he's smart all by himself but um but you know we we're like wow you know what that really worked that was a great alphabet system so let's publish it so that other people can have the benefit of um of learning the alphabet and learning the numbers in a in a, in a similar way and that's what i'm doing now with my um uh, my youtube channel and the um the tools that i'm devising is similarly i'm devising a method that is going to make it easier or does make it easier for uh, for actors to achieve um, the best that they can possibly achieve, really, which is just the same as as creating an alphabet system because we had little kids at the time. Hmm. I guess, um, and that's amazing. That I just feel like you are just, and you're right that you work very quickly. You just go and go and go, and it's the next and next and next. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. I've got a strong curiosity and a fast rhythm. So, um, and that sometimes that, that has been to my detriment, but more often than not, that has been to my benefit. Mm, especially as you say, working on set where it's just like, and two minutes and you've got to get in there and do this. That's really kind of you, which is great. Um, in terms of creating your own work, and I guess um, the one thing that often people will say when they're looking at creating their own work is um, where the money comes from and where the budget kind of comes from. So starting out when you were originally um, doing theatre works and touring them and then going into short films, what is your advice for people in terms of uh, getting the money and the resources to make their projects and to kind of get somewhere with that? Because as we know, you know, in Australia, I think, um, budget from Screen Australia, it's not um, abundant. And so a lot of people get turned away. And I think being turned away, they go, oh, well, I, I guess I'm not made to make my own work. And they don't really discover other ways in which you can get financing for a film. So what would your advice be for people looking to do that? Well, you know, there's so many platforms that um, you can make material completely free. We've all got a phone, you know, and um, and now you can make a film on your phone. Uh, you just need um, a vision to mm. be able to do it. And all you need to do is look at Instagram and um, and TikTok to see a million people who are making awesome content using nothing but their phone and possibly their laptop. Mm. So um, 
yes, if you want to make a conventional uh, feature film or a conventional short film using conventional funding paths, if you're a graduate of AFTAs and you know you um, that's the the uh, direction that you're going in, then yes, you're going to go to Screen Australia or, or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? For for my money, it takes so long to partner with those elephantine kind of unwieldy um, uh, national organisations. I'm like, let's find another way to do it faster. So like for the um, the material that we made. Um, for the YouTube channel that I um, that I put up recently over lockdown in New Zealand, where I was like, well, I'm just going to make one a day and um, and stick them up. They were free. You know, I've got a printer, I've got a phone. My husband, my daughter, our dog. Um, you know, I've got natural light coming through the window. I don't need an expensive studio. I've got some good ideas. Here they are. Mm. If you want to watch them, then um, then there's a certain charm to the shittiness of um, of the the technical way in which we put them up. So. Um, you know, I think that we we need to be a little bit freer with our with our ideas about what is quality. There's a really great film called um, is it called Taxi the Taxi uh, that was made recently by a guy in is it a, it was an Iranian film and he just made the film on his phone because that's the only way he could make the film. But mm. the power of his ideas and the power of what he was trying to talk about um, the political situation in his country was so powerful that um, it, it, it was. It added to the experience that it had this kind of shitty quality. So um, I don't buy into this um, this idea that um, you can only make art if you've got access to funding. Mm. Um, and and often, as you, you know, that they found in the um, the nineteen post war nineteen fifties Britain, the rise of kitchen sink drama, where um, for a brief moment poor people, working class people were allowed to be actors, which is that that's over now. <laughs> now, if you want to be an actor anywhere in the world, you basically got to have a patron. And, um, you know, it, once again, it's become very expensive. It's become something to be an actor is something that you've got to have a private income to be able to afford to, um, to commit yourself to. But back in the day when um, um, in post-war, there was a brief moment where um, people made cheap, quick, deep, effective beautiful theater and that that's what i'm into in terms of uh, my aesthetic for for theater and also film is ultra naturalism and um a, a kind of a, a a quick and vivid way of um of reflecting reality and i don't think that has to cost money no i agree with that um i definitely agree you know um i like i've made little skits on my phone that, you know, you just upload online and it's kind of, you go back to the idea of like, well, you know, it, it, what what is the purpose of your content? You know, is it to um, get famous or is it because you just have this idea and you want to creatively try it out? And I think um, in terms of like the film festival circuits as well, sometimes um as a creative for me personally, sometimes I find it a little bit difficult because, you know, you are working with people who are aiming to get into certain festivals or to win certain awards from festivals. And so they're tapering the content of the film to try and get an audience response. And, you know, specifically with comedy, they're tapering jokes um, in order to go, oh, well, I think the audience will respond to this. And sometimes I'm going, I don't think that that's that funny, you know. Um, what is what is the purpose of the joke? What is the purpose of this comedy? Is it to shine a light on some area of society or is it just to get laughs from an audience, you know? And so I think, I think we need to constantly be pushing these questions out into the industry and to be asking them of ourselves and of our colleagues, you know, what is all this for? Because yeah. at the end of the day, you know, if it's just for an award or if it's just because you want to um, have a, a famous career, then, yeah, I just, I don't know how successful that's going to go for you. But, you know, it's all it's all a, a journey, as we say, it's all a journey. And I guess um, people are constantly learning. So, you know, um, yeah, it is what it is. But... I definitely agree, you know, you can just, you can use your phone. There's no shame in just using your phone in order to create content. Um, it's totally fine. Everyone's doing it now. So why not? Why not? Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. 
Mm. And even even in terms of time, yeah, there's a um, I, there's one of my favourite little short films is a one minute film. It was made for a one minute film festival. It's called Lit L I T by um, a British director called Emma Miranda Moore. It's a beautiful film, really beautiful. It's one minute long, and that's all it takes to tell that particular story. So I think that you know it has to be 15 minutes long. A, a feature has to be 90 minutes or, or two hours. It's like, no, it, 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 there's many, many different platforms that can provide a forum for the multitude of different ideas and creative impulses that we have. And let's make the most of that. We're in a, we're in a time um, which I would characterize by, be, by being the democratization of creativity because there are so many places where your creativity can find a platform um, mm. and you need to make the most of that. Yeah, for sure. Um I want to mention a full circle moment to you that I had um, a week or so ago about you. It was so funny. So I think it was, I can't remember when it it was, maybe a month or a couple of weeks ago. I was late to the party and I finally watched the true history of the Kelly gang. And I was watching it and I was thinking, who is this? Who is this girl in it? She looks so familiar. She's fabulous. I'm just going to go on IMDb and look her up. And of course, it's Thomason. And me not putting two and two together, a week or so later, I'm researching you online. And I just had this moment of, oh, my God, that's Miranda's daughter. Oh, my God, this is so full circle for me. I just watched Thomason and now I'm looking up Miranda. Oh, the industry is all just so small and joined. <laughs> it was just such a funny moment. Um, and I wondered, you know, I've heard um, two kind of sides of the coin of people who do work in the industry and then um, kind of think I'm, you know, when they do have children, I'm not too sure if I would let them work in the industry or we'll just kind of see where their interest goes. But they, you know, and rightly so, our industry can be hard sometimes. It isn't, it isn't an easy career to follow. So I just wondered what your experience was with having children and obviously um, some of them having an interest in the industry. Um, how did you go about navigating that whilst them growing up? And I guess, you know, Thomason did start quite young as well. And so did your other daughter. So what has the experience been? Because I guess your mum was in the industry when you were growing up as well. So I guess are you applying the, the similar things to what your mum had applied to you as well? Yes, I think, you know, and I think that that is what um, many of us do. You know, if you grow up in a family where your mum is a real estate agent and your your dad runs a, um, a a building franchise, or you grow up in an environment where your you know your dad works in a legal office and your mum is a business administrator, or you know whatever, then you're you're going to draw a lot from the context that you grew up in, and um and you're unconsciously going to apply that to um to the way that you live your life. If your you know parents are con- conservation people and you grow up in the bush in New Zealand, you know that's really going to affect the way you um you live your life and the way that you bring up your children. And um so I have just um been exactly the same mother as my mother was to me just exactly the same <laughs> i even um had my first child at exactly the same age as my mother she wow. was just like a blueprint for me i was like right okay so sometimes she was an actor sometimes she um worked a job um as a publicist a publicist at a theater um sometimes she was away um uh, making films and um and sometimes she was here meanwhile my dad um was a writer I'm now married to a writer. Um, my dad was a writer and he stayed at home. He was like, you know, six foot four, very happy wearing an apron and um, going down to the supermarket and making dinner. And this is a very long time ago when it was really unusual for men to be at home and women to be going out to work and even for women to, to have a job. So um, so they were pretty uh, um, genre busting uh, back in the day and the way they lived their lives and the way they ran our family. And, um, and so I can't take any credit for being creative with the way that we've encouraged our children to follow their journeys and their different interests. Cause really I'm just copying <laughs> and, um, and, um, and that's, and, you know, of course now I have my, um, my mum lives downstairs and she's still acting, you know, I take her, she's 93. I took her to a voiceover only a couple of days ago. Oh, that's um, so great. The multi-generational machine, um, that we have going here. Um, and and we, but we because it is multi generational, we do have um, advice and support that we can offer our daughter Thomason as she, um, you know, she she ventures out on her own. She's about to 
she's always had us with her, um, or what, at least one of us with her on all the films that she's made so far. She's probably made 10 films now. And um, this next film that she's going off to do, which is um, by M. Night Shyamalan, is the first one that she's going off by herself. So that's a, that's a big moment for her to kind of strike out on her own. But um, I, I think that, yeah, there's no, um, I, I don't think that we pressured our children in terms of uh, entering the performing arts industry. You know, we, we've encouraged them to use the elements of the performing arts industry and also the visual arts, because my husband is a, an art collector. So there's a lot of visual arts uh, um, material around our house. We've encouraged them to use the creativity which is in our house to fund their interest in whatever else they may be doing, whether it's law, whether it's politics um, or whatever it is. And, you know, so that you can be a, a richer version of yourself uh, because um, you're backed up by philosophy, psychology and art. And, um, and you know, for me, that is the, that is the purpose of art. Mm, for sure. Um, I guess one concept that kind of um, I, I'm not too sure if Thomason would identify this as something that may have her, helped her mindset in the industry, but the fact that, you know, your mother was a working actor but also worked a different job and then also yourself, you know, you've been a working actor and you're also a working coach and you teach at drama schools. These ideas of um, taking on different jobs and it's okay to take on different jobs to support yourself financially, um, even if, you know, the other job is not in the industry, I think that really enables you to take a breath as an actor because, you know, I think a lot of actors are kind of scared that they might get one job and then not work as an actor for another two years and they're thinking, oh, well, what about my image as an actor if someone sees me working in a different job? I think that kind of just creates a lot of anxiety in a person. And mind you, I've held that mindset in the past and it's something that I've had to... That's not, that's not a useful mindset, you no. know, because here we are in a pandemic hmm. where everything is shut. There are, there are no acting, well, there are a few acting jobs um, because the film and television industry is, is um, getting up and running again. But, um, but you know, there's, uh, we're in a situation where, well, so what, you've got to have things to fall back on in your robust um, academic, intellectual, philosophical um, elements to fall back on, passions. You've got to have those things to fall back on in your life. Mm. that are going to feed your acting anyway, whether you're um, being an actor or whether you're, you're, um, you've got a job at the local um, plant shop um, passionately selling people trees so that we can, you know, reforest the world. You know, I whatever. I would love that. I would love that job. I would love yeah, to that, work at a plant or, shop. Or working in a florist, I think, would also be a really oh, great yes. job. Yes, I mean, in a way, I kind of don't believe in, um, in being a full-time actor. I don't think there's any such thing because being a full-time actor in the way that we are a full-time um, you know, the business administrator in a hospital, which is a nine to five every day, day in, day out, 52 weeks of the year, a little bit of a holiday, um, hither and yon for, a, um, for a, um, a guaranteed wage. That's not sustainable as a performer. Mm. You have to take time out to go and, um, and feed yourself the, the inspiration to bring back to your uh, creative job. It's not sustainable as a painter. It's not sustainable as a sculptor. It's not sustainable as a theater director. So, um, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of saying there have to be different aspects to your life. Otherwise, you know, the, the un, unthinkable happens. A global pandemic comes along. What are you going to do with your life? Yeah. There have to be cool other things going on in your brain and your heart and your spirit and your body to, um, to be able to sustain you through these, um, these weird times. Yeah. I love that idea of tearing down this concept of the full-time actor. And it's not to say that, you know, you can't work for years just doing acting work. It's just the concept in your mind of not solely relying on that as your experience. And as you say, to be able to go out and live your life, just like live your life, you know, <laughs> I well, think. Have a life. Have a life. Yes. You've got to have a life to feed your work. Mm, taking a break sometimes is something that I constantly am like, don't be scared to take time off. You know, I will force myself and it, a month is not that long a time, mind you. I'll force myself to take a month off 
from my creative work because you just need it sometimes. You know, I know actors who have taken a year or two off and it doesn't mean that they're going back in their career. I think that's what we're scared of. We take a year or two off and then literally everyone in the industry just forgets who we are and then we have to start again, you know, which is just not the case. So, yeah. But, um, yeah, well... I think I think we can wrap up. You've said some amazing things today, which I personally have learned from, which is great. Um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, now, where can people find you? Do you have you have a website? And also, um, I know you know you do classes at the Hub Studio as well. Um, what is your website? My website is mirandaharcourt.com and um and my uh my youtube channel is just miranda harker on youtube so um so yeah they're the ways to um to find me if you're interested in looking more at what i do and um exploring the tools that i've um, talked about in this in this podcast but i really appreciate the opportunity of coming on and having a good old chat with you just a good old chat (laughs) well thank you so much for coming on the podcast and we'll talk to you soon awesome Bye.